0: Hello and welcome to the Bundesliga show our tactics review for the week 20 so here I am with Peter yeah and obviously this is a recorded version because when this goes out live I will be celebrating Valentine's Day of course I've even come in my red turtleneck as well today, just to celebrate it as well a day in advance how are you Peter over there?
1: Well, uh, I'm doing well. Another great weekend of Bundesliga football. I do wish you a very, very happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's and Day to all, to to Martin, all of you as well. well. To yeah, all of our of course, viewers. Yeah. And uh, for those who uh, are fortunate enough to celebrate uh, Carnival, Mardi yeah. Gras. What's that strange old English word uh, back when there were Catholics in England? Uh, okay. Tide. Yeah. Yes, indeed. A very happy <laughs> Tide. To all yeah. the old English uh, uh, as well, so we have so many things to celebrate this week, including the holidays and and some great football to talk about as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you were over at Mardi Gras as well. Did you enjoy your celebrations over there this weekend? Uh,
1: no, I'll be I'll be down in Louisiana next week, and uh, oh, okay. I'll be celebrating them uh, as well. So yeah. yes. Uh there is a, a Mardi Gras here in in uh, in St. Louis, but uh, it does not compare to what you get down south uh, in the yeah. <laughs> New So yeah. I'll be there this coming weekend.
0: Definitely. Okay. So yeah, obviously if you um remember that we are in partnership with Bundesliga boxes, which is the fantastic company which provides uh, a uh, kind of uh football shirts from the bundesliga and just about every german league as well they're not only from the bundesliga you can get them from just about every league maybe a good investment for valentine's day as well while we're talking about that if you if you're someone watching and your loved one is a big uh, bundesliga fan then it's definitely worth purchasing one of them the next batch will be out soon and we're also in partnership with bully news as well which is uh the fantastic uh, English language Bundesliga website run by Runa and obviously Peter, one of the key writers as well for them. So yeah, remember to check them out. Always fantastic up-to-date news, which is far better than the Bundesliga official site as well, I've gotta say. I always get my news from Bully News, so you should get yours too.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Mark. That was incredibly kind of you. So. Yeah, no
0: it is, it is a fantastic website, I've got to say. Not just because we're in partnership with them, but it is generally a good website. Okay, so yeah, obviously we've got a lot to talk about, haven't we, Peter? I mean, it's been another, as pretty much every weekend in the Bundesliga is, it's been another brilliant uh, weekend of action in the Bundesliga. Week 20 now already, week 20. We're kind of getting closer and closer to the final stretch really now, aren't we? Obviously only 14 games left of the Bundesliga as of this week. So, yeah, let's make a start. I mean, for me, the big game of this weekend, it was hands down. It was the uh, RB Leipzig 1, Union Berlin 2 game. I mean, what a. Me and Peter both said last week that we didn't consider them to be title challengers simply because there was too long of the season to go, but. I mean, if this isn't a statement, I don't know what is, you know, especially after going behind to the Heinrich strike, which perhaps could have been saved a little bit better as well. It kind of hit the goalkeeper's hands, Renov, and went into the top of the net, but that was for 1-0. But that equaliser, what a strike from Yannick Haber I mean, he just absolutely catches it perfectly on the volley. The corner comes in, it's not really cleared out, and he just catches it brilliantly from the edge of the area. And then a Robin Knocker penalty as well from what for me was a penalty from Simakon. He kind of goes in with his elbow. But we'll start with that, Peter. I mean, was it a penalty? For me, it's a pretty clear one, this one. Uh,
1: Absolutely, it was a penalty. Um, Simakon was incredibly foolish to lead with his elbow and the ball bounced off of his bicep. Uh, It was a, a deserved penalty. It was a deserved win for Union. Uh, recall that when you and I were doing the Rückrunde preview, we we absolutely said that Union were going to fall off. Yeah. Um, and I've been <clears throat> leading almost every column uh, since the Bundesliga resumed play in January, tempering expectations about Union. But this was the weekend that made me a believer. I don't know about a believer in a title just yet, but uh, I'll reiterate what I said, I think on the very first podcast that I appeared on here with you. Now I think they are definitely a top four side. What a statement from them. What a match. What a hammer from Haber. Yeah, uh, I don't know why no one else has used that language yet. It's so easy. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, Henrich's uh, strike was was also quite impressive, I have to say. you did that thing where actually, and, and many Germans make this mistake too, they call him Heinrichs because that would make more sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> actually, it's actually yeah. been... Um, yeah, it sounds more
0: german than Henrik.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know it, i I've, I've made that mistake as well you just think to yourself oh heinrich no yeah but definitely I, yeah i remember i made that mistake during the, the confet cup in 2017 which he was a part of um but an incredible statement uh really this union squad um, a great game from eiseleiduni yannick Cabra, uh, uh, Josip Jaranovic uh, was also good. Uh, three of their new acquisitions, Habra, of course, came in in the summer. Uh, but you can see that they've upgraded at, at virtually every position. Uh, another monster match from uh, Rani Kadira, of course. And uh, yeah, what what uh, what about this match would you like to discuss, Mark? Because I can I could go on all night. what, what is it uh, uh, to you? What is what are, what are you curious about with Unión?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's also the fact that they managed to carve out 1.4 XG to 0.6 as well. I mean, most people, when they see this result, they would have thought it was a smash and grab, as we say in Britain, you know, where basically it's all Leipzig doing the pressing and then Union just get a couple of scrappy goals off corners. But it wasn't like that, you know. I mean, obviously, that effort from uh, Becker in the first half, what a save that was as well from the. uh, Leipzig standing goalkeeper. I mean, Becker, he shot shoots the ball across the goal. And for me, that's an amazing save. And that probably should have been a goal, really, uh, for 1 0 before they even got the equalizer. But it's just the way that Union are playing. You know, I mean, as you mentioned, Rani Kadir is an amazing player. I, I just want to know how are they maximizing some of these players? Because, you know, on paper, these players, they're not world beaters. But what Urs Fischer is doing is getting the maximum out of them every single week. And it's just, everyone just thinks surely there's got to be of time when they drop off but it's just not looking lightly at the moment and for me they were the better side in this game even obviously away from home against Leipzig but obviously there's one other moment that we've got to touch on as well and that was uh, Yusuf Poulsen's disallowed goal on 82 minutes so obviously uh, Union take the lead after about 72 minutes and then, obviously, they're hanging on a little bit after that. And actually, it's actually a knockdown. And Jusip Poulsen finds the back of the net. Union players aren't really complaining. They seem to think that it's an equalizer. But then, obviously, the linesman's flag is up for an offside in the build-up. So what was your take on this one, Peter? Do you think this was the correct decision? And why was this one disallowed?
1: Um, I'll answer both of your questions. Um, we'll get to how uh, was Fisher maximizes his talent in just a second. The referee in controversy was uh, actually something that uh, has divided opinion across the Bundesrepublik. Um, Daniel Schlager, the match official, uh, ruled that Issa Laidouni uh, inadvertently gifted the ball to Timo Werner in an offside position during the buildup. So the goal was initially allowed to stand. The VAR team and the Koerner Keller told Daniel Schlager to take another look. And it was Schlager's logic that since Laiduni Um, didn't uh, clear with intention uh, Werner's uh, offside position was relevant. Now is this subjective uh, with respect to the rules? Actually yes. Um, uh, There is a (laughs) Germans being Germans have gone into this Um, and uh, as it turns out in in terms of the letter of the law it shouldn't matter if the defender intended to clear the ball or not so uh, in the current DFB uh, rulebook, the goal was falsely disallowed. Now you mentioned the xG stats, which means that it was, uh, at the end of the day, a deserved uh, mm. a, a three for Unión. Um, also, Leipzig uh, did not play a particularly good match in general. They did not put uh, a, a Unión away when they had the chance. Some very very questionable uh, personnel choices from Marco Rosa in this one. I have to say it was almost as if he was trying. Uh, to mirror uh, uh, Union's tactics too closely by putting Henrichs on the left, which is not his natural side. Of course, he scored, but that had nothing to do with tactics. Um, using Halstenberg as a mirror wingback to stop the Union's strong wingbacks um, and uh, having Klosterman, Lukas Klosterman, anchor the back three. So there were some weird, and it, it also seemed like Timo Werner was playing a lot on the right. Mm-hmm. And uh, As you know, we've discussed, I think, in one of our watch-alongs, Vanna is more of a left lane striker. So I would say that Rosa deserved to lose the the match on the basis of some of his personnel and tactical decisions. I believe that Unión were the better side. Um, the question about how it was Fisher maximise his talents uh, his his talent is that he uses the same system, the same three five two system, and his only real rotations are the wing backs and the strikers. Um, generally speaking, he's got that strong back three with Knocha, Diego Light and and Danilo uh, uh, Doeki and Giselman Trimmel Juranovic, uh, Juranovic placing uh, uh, Ryerson of course. they rotate in and out during the European weeks. Becker and Barons are the strikers for now but uh, Sven Michel and and Jordan mm-hmm. Jordan Jordan Sebaci, whatever you want to call him perform very, very <laughs> well off the bench. Um, so he has got this system in place, they're drilled in it, they're trained in it. And, uh, he, he makes the right rotations at the right times, uh, where these players are, are, are comfortable, of course. And that's why he had the better team. That's why he had the better tactics. Uh, but it cannot be emphasized enough that the decision by Daniel Schlager was in fact wrong, uh, according to the yeah. handbook. So some case for Leipzig to feel hard done by there
0: yeah that was my initial thoughts as well i thought they were really hard done by. i agree that union berlin deserved to win the game but yeah that was a real hard one for leipzig and obviously you know you've got a question now does that take them out of the title race as well because the ta- the table doesn't look that pretty for them obviously they drew away from home against comb last week and they're currently seven points now behind by munich after closing that gap to just one or two points a couple of weeks ago didn't they and What would you say, Peter? I mean, for me, I would say they are kind of out of the title race. On current form, more than the number of points, I would say on current form, they're out of it. But what would you say?
1: Well, this snapped an 18-game unbeaten run uh, in which uh, Marco Rosa received a lot of praise. Uh, Something that I mentioned in the column as sort of a prelude to to future columns is that I want to start questioning uh, whether or not Marco Rosa is that great of a coach. Um, we've mm-hmm. seen him uh, have some real problems uh, in his second season with Gladbach. And we sort of, we, we waved that off as well. He's moving to Dortmund, his head is elsewhere. Um, and uh, we, we saw him not uh, produce all that great of a season with Dortmund and was released and, and Eden Tazic replaced him. Um, you know, it's almost sacrilege to consider Marco Wolze uh, somebody who, uh, you know, doesn't have everything tactically together. And that's because the the team of Marco Rosa and René Maric, mm. uh, his assistant coach, uh, who is one of the founding members of uh, Spielverlagerung. have you ever heard of of Spielverlagerung? No, not actually. Um, that is a great uh, German run tactical site uh, mm. with excellent analysis and and wonderful tactical written pieces and they even have a little academy um where you can uh for i don't know 30 euros or something like this um you know uh, have uh <clears throat> tactical lectures uh by wow. some german journalists and german tactic heads and things like this okay we're we're crazy i uh, <laughs> i never that said interesting
0: that. i'll check it out okay.
1: Yeah, so it's sacrilege to say that the that the team of Marco Rosa and, and René, René Maric, uh, you know, sometimes makes mistakes, but I think that's something worth examining as the season progresses, because some really questionable personnel calls from Rosa, he didn't really need to have to mirror uh, Union's tactics the way that he did. We shall see. If Leipzig drop off, it's going to be – we'll have uh, some serious, some seriously intriguing and interesting questions to ask about are coming up.
0: Yeah, and obviously the Champions League tie against Man City, I think, is next week as well. So that's going to be interesting too, isn't and it? Well, obviously – Or no, I'm sorry. That's yeah, next week, out, but, but, I think. Yes, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But obviously, yeah, that, I guess that's a conversation for another day. But, yeah, so let's move on from that game to the Sunday games. I mean, two big shocks as well on Sunday, really. Two sides that, you know – weren't really tipped to get home wins. Ended up getting big wins as well. Obviously, Herter Berlin smashing Gladbach four-one at home, and then obviously the in the late kickoff, FC Köln on Carnival Day—well, in Carnival Week, I should say—they mm-hmm. schooled Eintracht Frankfurt as well on their own park. So yeah, let's start with the Herter gladback game because that was the earlier kickoff and perhaps the bigger shock of the two. Really, if we're being honest. I mean, Hertha Berlin, they'd lost every single game since the Ruprunders started. That was fire, four straight defeats before this Sunday. But what a way to return this was. And, you know, it didn't look like it was coming as well because, I mean, Nico Elvedi headed in from a Luca Nets corner. More dreadful Hertha defending, wasn't it? The Olympia Stadion was silent and it looked like it was going to be another easy win for the away side, really. As a lot of teams seem to take points from the Olympia Stadion quite easily these days, don't they? And then, obviously, uh, Hoffman as well went round the goalkeeper and his, his effort was cleared off the line. even <laughs> though The offside was given in the end, but I think he was lucky that it was offside because that would have been a shocking miss, really. And if that had cost him the game, I'm not sure whether Dan- Daniel Farker would have been very happy about that one at all. But yeah, then obviously things changed, and for me, uh, the man that really stood out in this game was actually Jürgen uh, uh, in the in the Hertha Berlin midfield. I mean, what a game he had! I, I don't, I can't profess to know that much about him, at least before this game, but he had a fantastic match in this game, and he actually. Was influential in in Kangam getting them level on the half hour mark with, you know, they hadn't done that much before that, but after that point, they were really, really good, hurt. I and mean, they very much deserved the win. But what have we got to say about the one that eventually won the game? The strike that won it. It was that man, Dardai, the famous pai Pal Dadai's son as well, up from the back. A, a miscleared corner and he just kind of absolutely smashes it into the top corner dips it off the underside of the bar into the back of the net from 35 meters what an effort that was peter
1: well very happy birthday to martin Dada. he did yeah. that on his uh, 21st birthday and it was an incredible strike <laughs> um, what i found i found many things humorous about the hair to match. uh but what was perhaps the most humorous is that the, the broadcast cameras had a lock on Pal Dardai in the stands.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was they really, did. yeah I noticed um, that as well.
1: And and the reasoning behind that was clear. Um, they had a lock on him because they wanted to mention perhaps this man is going to take over as coach. <laughs> uh if sandro Schwarz loses, <laughs> he's coming back for his third stint. Um, so the cameras caught Pal Dardai and his um uh and his beau his his lady i don't know which wife that is whether that was martin dadai's mother or not i I confess i do not know that but they they focused in on him and they they got a chance to show paul dadai applauding his son um his younger son he has another son who used to play for Hatta as well uh when he scored that screamer of a goal uh and they just kept locked on paul dadai um, who was just reveling in this Hatta victory that nobody saw coming? I absolutely nobody. Uh, uh, if anyone says that they predicted this result, they're liars. We thought Hatta were an absolute doormat in this division, um, and the scenes were wonderful. The scene, the shots of Paldara were wonderful. Yeah. The, the fans finally having something to celebrate were great. Um, it was wonderful to see uh, Danny Sheykhant come on and score that goal <clears> in, in uh, injury time. Um, just a great day for Hertha so Jesse, um, It's funny. I mean, he was a uh, he was an old Bundesliga player from from years, years back. And when Hertha uh, managed to pick him up during the transfer window, that was the only transfer that this new administrative team was able to get. <laughs> you know, it was kind of a joke. Um, yeah. You know, it, it reminded one a little bit about, uh, you know, he was an old Hertha player. He also played he was in the in Wolfsburg and Gladbach and the academy and such. But, you know, his transfer, when he was the big January signing, German fans were laughing at this. You know? <laughs> it kind of reminded one a little bit of, of when Bayern signed Eric maxim trupomoting that people were like, oh, come on, mm. you know. And so, but he did a fantastic job running the midfield. He really did. Um, in this new three-five-two from Sandro Schwartz, and he was an absolute key player. Um, he got credited with two assists. Um, the the one on the Dada goal obviously didn't have much to do with him. That was kind of a, a, a you know an aberration. But wow, I mean, I'm not going to say that Hatza are back because as we've been discussing a lot uh, on this pod, Gladbach are pretty bad, yeah. and. Um, what happened with Gladbach, as you mentioned, they, everything was going according to plan in the first 15 minutes. They were off to the right start. Um, but the, the Daniel Fack, his tactics, I'm not quite sure if he ordered a 4-2-3-1 uh, on Sunday because the shape did not hold. I don't know what the idea was, if Lars Stindl was supposed to be working close to Jonas Hoffmann at the 10, or if Hannes Wolf was supposed to be an outlying inverted winger, or if joe scally and luca nets were working a split stagger i couldn't figure it out because the shape couldn't hold and uh, what you have there is either you have a set of nuanced tactics that the trainer has ordered or you have a team that's just falling apart discipline wise mm-hmm. and and the biggest problem as we've talked about multiple multiple times here in in on uh, the pod is that this midfield triangle of Krama, Kone, um, you know, and Weigel isn't working out. Weigel was suspended. Yeah. He moved Kramer back to pair with Kone. Hoffman worked as the ten, which was kind of silly because he's stronger on the wing. Bad tactics, bad execution, kind of a bad team. But uh, we're we're really great to see Hatsa uh, uh, come back like that. Good for Sejaji, Great for Dardai, both Dardais, and uh, <laughs> our friends, our Charlottenburg friends in the capital they have something to cheer about for, for once so good for them a shock result absolutely yeah
0: I mean they definitely haven't had a lot to cheer about so far this season at all have they let's be honest this was the first win obviously of the rug under and the first win in general for a long time but you know it gives them a bit of hope because they're actually incredibly out of the bottom two now so obviously they're, they're out of that direct relegated size with after Stuttgart's defeat as well so things are looking a little bit better for them you know Obviously, a lot of the lower teams lost as well this weekend. The likes of Bochum lost, which is expected against Bayern, but it was a really good weekend for them. and They managed to make up some ground that had been lost over the last few weeks. But I just wanted to ask you a bit more about uh, Daniel Farker as well, because, I mean, obviously he is uh, a manager that came with relatively high hopes. I mean, he'd done well at Norwich in England, although some people in England would say he didn't do as well as what was said because he won two promotions from the Championship. But his record in the premier league was very poor let's be honest you know and yeah, it, i think he, no he got he finished 20th twice basically in the premier league so yeah, I yeah think George,
1: he, is, there must be some sort of rule that they that they can't stay in one division for more than yeah. That.
0: <laughs> yeah they've <laughs> got the record of the most relegations i think i think they've got like oh, okay. six or seven from the premier so league yes yeah. they are the and two of them were from uh, obviously under Daniel Farker but obviously from a German perspective I mean he came with relatively high hopes I mean Glagbach they always seem to have good managers on paper you know obviously Adi Huter last season who didn't work out at all I mean I was a little bit shocked that they actually fired him in the end because I thought there was some uh, benefit in giving him a second season but what do you think of Daniel Farker do you think he's going to be a long term manager for the club because he actually started well didn't he I mean, things have really fallen off the last yeah. uh, seven, eight games, I would say, either side of the break, really.
1: Well, the problem that you have in Gladbach is that um, this is kind of a mid-market club. Um, that it got hit really hard by the pandemic. Um, So they don't have as much money to invest as they once did. Mm -hmm. Gladbach have been up and down. They were in the Zweite Liga some 12 years ago, I I believe. Um, So, of course, their rivalry with Bayern München in the 70s was was legendary. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they are a club that's gone up and down. Um, They lost what Germans call the manager in in Max Ebel to to Bernal. uh, and that was in the middle of the the Adi Hutter year, you know. When Adi Hutter initially signed with Gladbach, a lot of us were surprised. M- many of us were were wondering what you know, uh, why did he sign with this with this club? It, it mm. just seemed like a good fit. Um, the reason, of course, was that Freddy Bobic had left uh, Eintracht yeah. Frankfurt, and and many things had changed. He wanted to change. A real sliding doors moment for Adi Hutter because he could have been with Eintracht Frankfurt. He could have, yeah. uh, in principle, perhaps helped them. Uh, to the Europa League title, they had the talent uh, in place. Yeah. Um, Gladbach, in losing Marco Rosa, in losing Max Ebel, in you know sort of in, imploding over the the second half of the season last year under Hütter, and then this past off season there was another really big disappointment. Lucien Favre was set to return to Gladbach. <laughs> which would have been a major coup. It would have been great for the fans. Uh, it would have been great for the club in general, but Favre decided that he didn't want to... I think they had an agreement in place to bring him in. And uh, he just decided at the last moment that um, uh, he didn't want to return to the Bundesliga because he didn't enjoy himself coaching Dortmund. And he wanted to go back to France, which talk about a sliding doors moment. He's done t- He's done now too. Um, so Favre was he was sort of brought in as an afterthought and, um, there's no question that you know, he's had some bad luck, uh, with his injuries, um, has not been able to recapture the form of a couple of years ago. So he doesn't have the striker that he needs. Um, but he's made a lot of tactical mistakes too. He's made a lot of mistakes in building his midfield. I think that, um, you know, the, we talked a lot about how when Ko Itakura got injured, that's when their poor run of form started uh, yeah. uh, during, during the Hinrunde. Um So that was bad luck as well. But you know, you you have to build the defensive unit. So Fak, I mean, it's a small, it's a mid-market club. They don't have the money to bring in the players. Uh, Fak is is not really doing well with the hand that he has. And you know, I I initially picked Gladbach to to be relegation candidates. <clears throat> At the beginning of the season and uh, i got a lot of flack from gladbach fans some of which was deserved because you know i was i was being a little bit overly pessimistic but i just knew that or i had a feeling that th- this club you know the the its best years it's the years where uh, they got to the champions league under rosa that's behind them they have revenue shortfalls thanks to the pandemic they have a lot of players leaving on freeze um, they have, you know, their longtime manager, Max Eberle, who left. And they've had a string of coaches who just haven't been able to build a footballing thesis. Yeah. So that's what you have going on with Gladbach. Wouldn't be surprised at all to see Daniel Fark uh, leave after one season, just as Adi Hutta did. I mean, it was it was just yeah. something that him and Roland Verkus came to a, a mutual mm. consent. We might see that again if, if results don't pick up for him.
0: Yeah, and obviously they've dropped out of the top half, I think, for the first time this season as well. They're currently 10th, obviously, so things are definitely going in the wrong direction. They're not going to be involved in the relegation fray. They're still well clear of that. No. But, I mean, it, it could end up being quite an underwhelming season, really, for uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. But, yeah, let's move on to the next game. So, yeah, the other Sunday clash between FC Köln and Frankfurt. I mean, I think both me and you, uh, Peter, we both thought that Frankfurt were title challengers, but it's not really gone there. I wouldn't say they've been terrible since the rook run. This, this was the first defeat, actually. But, I mean, you know, the performances haven't been at the same level as they were for long periods of the Hinrunder. But I mean, obviously they were schooled in this game, really. I think in the first half they had a few good chances, especially through Lindstrom. He had a few really good runs, but he just couldn't square it back to Muani unfortunately, in this situation. But I mean they looked well into the game until they went behind really. And it was a brilliant ball from that man, Flo Kind to put a brilliant ball in for Hubers, who Basically, couldn't miss, could he? I mean, I think I would have scored that one. To be honest with you. <laughs> the old <laughs> grandmother would have. Yeah. 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 But it, I mean, it was a brilliant crossing. I mean, he can do that flow kinds, can't he? He's absolutely brilliant at drifting those balls in with a really good dip. They come like very high and then drop in a really nice angle, and it, it was a fantastic ball in. That was the catalyst to what ended up being a really, really good win for FC Curl, who are now five unbeaten. Actually, into the obviously into the Rook-Runder. They've got, had draws against the likes of Bayern Munich and Leipzig, and now they've got that kind of marquee win over Eintracht Frankfurt as well. So what do you make of this one, Peter?
1: Um, I don't want to take anything away from Köln, who are, are, you know, together with the fans at home in a packed Rhein-Energy stadion, particularly during Carnival time, they are an unstoppable force. So they did a fantastic job. They played a great game. Uh, for me, the player, uh, the best player on the uh, the Kuhn side there, was Elia yeah. uh, who will be departing the club uh, uh, this summer. They're really going to miss him. The Tunisian has just rounded his game perfectly. He's an absolute pressing machine, uh, and he can take a ball off of anybody in midfield, even Je- uh, Jesper Lindstrom and Randall Kolo Muani, uh, and that's saying quite a lot. So. I mean, again, I don't want to take anything away from Kern a, a wonderful performance by by Shkiri. Um, A great uh, ball in there from Kainz, the Germany U21 international, who we're all very excited to see playing well again. Um, and they, they just fed off the energy of the crowd and they made it happen. That being said, some very, very poor uh, squad rotation uh, uh, choices from Oliver Glasner, whom I think... Uh, pretty much anybody who follows German football would agree at this point, doesn't rotate often enough. Um, He often sticks with the same system and the same players, even in the packed uh, 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 match weeks. And the mistake that he made here was giving um, Makoto Hasebe, 39-year-old Makoto Hasebe, (laughs) three starts in a row. Um, And there was no reason for that. I mean, you could have just rotated in Smolcic uh, to, to anchor the back three. Hasebe looked so tired. I felt yeah. so bad for him. You know, as a man who is around the same age, look, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't run on the pitch like I used to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but the the body has certain limitations. And um, yeah, it was it was a most unfortunate match for Hasebe. Several defensive errors from him. Uh, Jibril Sao, who who actually was freshly rotated in, he had an uncommonly bad match missed many, many, many uh, uh, rotating or uh, marking assignments, I should say. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, you could have questioned him bringing Lindström in for the, for the start here because Lindström has been kind of iffy as of late. Um, what we saw in the Pokal with Rafael Santos Boré uh, working behind Moani, not as a striker, but as a buttressing uh, support um, actually chained with, with Mario Goetze. Maybe he should have continued to roll with that if he was going to continue to roll with players because Bore, as we know, is ravenous at this yeah. point. <laughs> I mean, he is so hungry for minutes. He is so hungry for goals. Okay, he's naturally a center forward, but I mean, just put him somewhere on the pitch and, and yeah. some good things will will invariably happen. So you can question the squad selections of, of Glasner in this case. But still, an unexpected result—one uh, uh, of two uh, big upsets on Super Sunday. Perhaps we can throw the American Super Bowl in there as well. That was kind of an upset. <laughs> Uh you know. But uh, yeah, two results that nobody was expecting. But we leveled, I think, some legitimate criticism at both Frankfurt and Gladbach for dropping these games in our in our analysis this week.
0: Yeah, definitely. I would agree that Boré needs to be getting more minutes because he is still a quality player. I agree that he is by nature a number nine, but he, he can provide quality in behind the striker as well. So, I mean, obviously, you're not going to remove Colo Moani. He's like undroppable, at this point, basically. So unless he's like you bring him on in a wheelchair, to be honest with you, if was, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? He's that good. The guy's that good. For me, he's probably been the best player in the Bundesliga this season overall. But i think uh, i would go that far for me but i do agree that bore needs a few more minutes and he really really wants to play you, you feel as though he wants to kind of uh, reintegrate himself into this frankfurt side but he's just not being given the opportunities apart from obviously in the pokal the other day when he did get a goal as well and you i know it's only against Darmstadt or in the fighter league but i mean they're the top of this fighter league so they're not exactly a poor side by their own right mm-hmm. but yeah i'd like to see him a little bit more i think lindström i mean, the problem with him is that he's brilliant on the ball. Like his, his dribbling is outstanding, but at times his final product is still not consistent enough for me. I, I think he'll be a really, really good player in two or three years' time once he's kind of refined his game a little bit more because he's got very, very good natural talent. But it, at times he's just a bit wasteful for me. That's his only problem. And this was one of his worst games in terms of final product that I've seen mm. in quite a while, to be
1: honest. But anyway, mm-hmm. great
0: result for Cone. They'll be happy. They're pretty much safe now as well let's be honest they're not going to be in any relegation trouble whatsoever so yeah we'll have to see how they can push on and maybe fight for a top half finish so yeah let's move more on to the some of the saturday games now so i think obviously one of the big ones was the freiburg stuttgart game because, obviously, I mean, Stuttgart, were in a very, very rare situation. They're actually winning away from home, which doesn't happen very often, let's be honest. And they were winning for quite a long time as well after Chris Furick's brilliant strike, actually. What a strike that was. He's not everybody's favourite player. I know Rory's not his biggest fan at all, but what a strike this was. He took the ball and just smashed it. There were quite a few really, really good goals this weekend, weren't there? And that was one of them as well. Smashed it, top corner, no chance for... Flecken and it was one nil to Stuttgart, but then they looked quite comfortable in the first half. I thought. I thought Freiburg looked flat. You know, it is a derby this game as well down in Baden-Württemberg. You know, I think maybe what 100 kilometers or so separating these two sides, so they're not very close. But
1: it's it's kind of a derby. I mean, it you know Freiburg is 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 way down in the southern tip of Baden-Württemberg. Yeah, 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 so. and uh, Stuttgart is um, well the capital of Baden-Württemberg, but um, most of the people from Bavu uh, including many members of my family, uh, consider Stuttgart to be, you know, the Württembergers, yeah. whereas the rest of the, the state is, is either, uh, you know, Baden or, well, Swabians, uh, yeah. you know, as, as we've uh, discussed. Yeah. You know, um, I am a big Chris Furich fan. Uh, I think that he's uh, an excellent player. He's, he's really been um, probably one of the only reliable finishers for this team since he arrived from from Paderborn uh, a couple of summers ago. Um, I think, I also appreciate how Chris Furich in his uh, post-match interview took responsibility for missing the chance at the 2-1, which he did, I believe it was, was it in the 70th or so? Yeah, it was quite late on. Yeah, Yeah. so he took, he's, uh, I think he's a good player. I think he's a mature player. And I don't want to hear from Bruno Labadia about VAR ruining football. There there, there were two controversial penalties uh, in this match, both of them uh, involving Dan Axel Zagadou, who started over Kostas Mavropanos in central defense. Uh, The reason that was given, the reason that was stated by Labadia, was that Mavropanos was was simply exhausted and he asked to be taken out of the 11. Uh, But in both cases, the penalties were, I mean, they were more or less justifiable. and uh, I would say that there were some other questionable uh, uh, decisions from uh, from Labadie in terms of of building his tactics. I, I slammed him for Mavropanos. I didn't know that Mavropanos asked to be taken out of the lineup. I yeah. wrote my column uh, this week. Uh, in all fairness, but um, having this Genki Haraguchi, Wat- Wataru Endo midfield, I don't see the logic behind it other than. Labadia just says, "Oh, hey, here's two Japanese players. I'll stick them (laughs) together." You know, I mean, Wataho Endo is a rover. He needs to be on his solo access. He needs to have flexibility. He needs to be not back there. You know, a a, a chain. You know, closely working together, actually chained with a with a bolt lock sweeper like Atakan Karadzua. So, yeah, I and and Valdemar Anton at right back. Okay, he can work there. But you have other options, uh, you know. I, I, I just did not care for for the way Labadie. I wrote up an article on his post match interview in which he said, you know, I've never lost by two penalties before. I'm constantly getting screwed. Uh, you know, VAR is is ruining football. I'm an opponent of VAR and and, and all of this stuff. Yeah. I don't care for that tone when you're in a relegation fight. You got to take some yeah. responsibility. And yeah, I, I don't. Know. You know, it's. Yeah. There's some Mourinho shades to it, don't you think? (laughs) And you have to remember that he got away with one,
0: too. VAR kind of helped him before the penalties as well, because, I mean, that was like an armpit offside from Grigorović. I mean, that was ridiculously close. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, that one would normally have been given. If it wasn't for VAR, that would have been 1-1 even before the penalty incident. So, I mean, it's like give one, take one. I agree. I think... I agree that they were a little bit soft and definitely, I think Doan definitely kind of bought one of the penalties for me a little bit, but in some ways it's clever play, do you know what I mean? Because nowadays, I'm not going to say it's kind of like, I'm not going to say it's gamesmanship, but to an extent you have to do that to help your team, do you know what I mean? There was a touch, it was clumsy from Zagadou and, you know, there was enough in it to give a penalty. I mean, some people would say that the VAR makes it look a little bit worse and like there's more contact, but you could see that he clearly did hit his um especially the first one i think the first one was a definite one for me the second one there was a lot less contact for me and it was a little bit soft but there was probably enough in it to give a penalty and as i mentioned before i think the disallowed goal from uh, Doan previous to that was a little bit harsh as well because i mean it was an armpit offside so you've got to say for me there was one 50-50 penalty. One was an 80-20 for me. I think it was would be given four out of five times, the first one, for me. Well,
1: I mean, there's something... I will say that Labadia's argument... What he did say was that VAR is supposed to uh, make sure that we don't have egregious errors on the pitch. Yeah. Okay, one thing... What's controversial about this match, at least in the opinion of Labadia, and I'm sure Stuttgart fans like Rory is that the var team in the fame bundesliga currenter keller the the current uh, uh, basement there they radioed in to the to the uh, match official and said no you need to take a look at this at this play that just occurred okay maybe we, we might see an adjustment of the rules here that you know the var team will take a look at something and say okay this is a little subjective but we're going to let it go. The, the match official on the pitch has made his ruling. He's made a subjective ruling, yeah. but we're not going to radio into him and say, you should have another yeah. look at this. Yeah. Um, cause, cause that could be problematic. So yeah. uh, there's a slight tinge of sympathy for what Labadia is saying uh, in that, you know, we, we don't want to constantly have the, the match official pestered by the, by the uh, yeah. review basement and say, you need to take another look at this because there's a 20% chance that you got it wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree that I think too many decisions are reviewed by the Colonel Keller. I think that's the problem. I think, for me, VAR is good, but it should only be used for very clear decisions. That's always been my take on it. I think 50-50 decisions are better uh, decided by the referee because, you know, he's there. He can see it uh, in real time, you know, and I think the referees, we've got to give them some respect, and I think one thing that VAR has told us is that the referees were doing a very good job before VAR. I mean, and they were getting ninety, ninety-five percent of decisions correct. But the problem is, is that the fans were so angry if one decision went against them, that's why we had VAR in the end, ultimately. So I think it's a bit ironic. And also the managers and coaches were also going crazy when one decision went against them. So it's a little bit ironic now that some of those guys are saying we should get rid of it. But it is it is hard. I understand it. It is hard because you know football is such an emotional game and we don't want to see goals disallowed for one millimetre offside. So I think it needs to come across all of football because in the Premier League, there were also a lot of big, uh, strange calls this weekend as well on the part of VAR, which actually ended up with huge circumstances in the title race and the relegation race as well. Mm. So for me, I think it's got to be something football-wide. I think it's got to be, um, you know, only very clear decisions. But then what is a very clear decision? I guess that's well,
1: the problem. I mean, well... It- has registered his complaint the DFba will take it seriously and uh we we will we will find a solution to this um I guess I was with him until he said oh, I always get screwed I, I don't want to hear that I I, yeah. I don't want to that's that's Mourinho speak I I, I, I don't want to hear that from from yeah. any
0: uh, yeah. a, a trainer
1: particularly not the- one of and he's not
0: particularly impressed either, Labadier, let's be honest. Again, as you say, Anton at right back, I just can't see that at all. I mean, he signed Van Umar for €5 million, Euros, which is a big transfer fee, and he barely played the whole season. You know, well, I know he got off to a bad start and he got a red card very, very early on in his career, but yeah, yeah. he has to have some quality. Surely he's got to be better than Anton at right back. Well,
1: if you're having problems, you know, if you're if you're having issues – um, with a dearth of, of options at center forward, go up the flanks, and uh, yeah. or, it, Borna Sosa needs a, uh, a partner who can work with yeah. him with some synchronization. Maybe some, also some, some asymmetrical split stagger builds and things like this. Yeah. I, I don't. I mean, I like Valdemar Anton. I think he's done a good job filling in at right back, but mm-hmm. I think that that was the wrong call tactically. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. We should take responsibility for that. Gil Diaz on the wings. I and. Wataru Endo Genki Haraguchi, explain to me why this is happening, other than the fact that both
0: players are Japanese. It's not really. <laughs> well, they are fashionable at the moment, I guess, after the famous uh, 2-1 in the World Cup. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so let, let's speed up a little bit and go through the other games faster. So I want to turn our attention to the title race. Now, I would say it's looking more and more after this weekend, like it's the three-man race, obviously, with Union Berlin and the next two teams we're going to talk about, which is obviously – the, the evergreen Bayern Munich, who are still top after 20 games, and obviously the on-form Borussia Dortmund as well, who got a, another impressive away win against the on-form Werder Bremen too. And again, this was another performance. It was a hard game on paper. Werder had put in two really good performances the last two games. The fans are really up for it there at the Weser Stadion. You know, the very, very good fan base there from a Complete sellout, as it pretty much always is in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, BVB, they managed to get the job done. At one point, it looked like Pavlenko was going to earn a point pretty much single-handedly for Werder Bremen because he made a couple of amazing saves from Royce and, I think, Allaire. Some amazing saves in, just in the start of the second half. But eventually, it was that man, Bino Gittens, the joker, as they call him. He smashed in the opener, and then the game was uh, obviously uh, made it 2-0 through that man, Julian Brandt, who's starting to look a little bit better, isn't he, on a more consistent basis. How impressive was, it, was this, um, Peter, or was it just a standard win, do you think,
1: for you? Um, I thought it was a very impressive win. I, I, I was uh, As I was remarking last week, Julian Brandt is an absolute red-hot scorching yeah. form. He's in the best form of his life. He's doing things that none of us believed that he could do in the first place, and he uh, scored again here. Um, It's another great win for the Dortmund bench, uh, considering that uh, Bino Gittens came off the bench. And uh, I believe they've had 10 substitutes score now, Dortmund have, which means they are the league leaders in that. Kind of a strange season in the Bundesliga that we're talking about Dortmund having the strongest bench. Usually it's Dortmund who has the thinnest squad (laughs) uh, and the most poorly balanced squad. But uh, finally, injury luck has, has sort of swung their way a little bit and they have the strongest bench on there. Um, yeah, it was, I think it was an excellent game from everyone, uh, in the yellow and uh, black, the Schwarzgelben strip with, okay. With the exception of Royce was not particularly strong. My boy Gio Reyna didn't have a very good game. He, He was a surprise starter on the right flank. Uh, but everybody else was quite strong um a shame to see Yusuf Moukoko down go down with injury
0: mm-hmm.
1: if he'll be out for about six weeks that doesn't really make a difference because they still have mm-hmm. Sebastian Haller and Anthony Modeste um but it's a big win for Terzic uh, it was a big win for the system that he has the 4141 yeah. system in which Emre Khan is dropping back and helping Nico Schlotterbeck and Niklas Sule get into better form uh, uh another great match from the returning uh, uh, Julian Hayassen um so yeah i mean this was dortmund continue to be red hot they are title contenders it was not a particularly good match from vader bremen we'll have to say that uh in front of their hometown fans uh food and Dux uh, spurned a lot of really good opportunities both from open play and on dead balls but um dortmund have solidified their place as title contenders i believe with this result uh the system works excellently and Julian Brandt continues to be the, you know, new German football golden boy. Shame we don't have a major international tournament coming yeah.
0: up. <laughs> But I think one other guy I want to mention as well is Nico Schlotterbeck. Like For me, he's looked so much better since uh, the break. I mean, I've got to be honest, his first six months at BVB were utterly atrocious, really. like He was making mistakes left, right and centre. He just looked so low on confidence. His World Cup was even worse, let's be honest. And by that point, he was getting a lot of stick from the German media. I think some people were even calling him uh, Harry Schlotterbeck, <laughs> Harry Maguire. <laughs> oh, I heard man. about that one a couple of times that he was just I an overpriced one-season wonder. But, I mean, this last five or six games, he's proved that he is a quality player again for me. And he looks like a leader now. And I don't know where he's got it from. Maybe it's Edin Terzic has kind of put the confidence into him. But, I mean, he's he looks a different player. And he's gone from rock bottom to being in a really good place right now. And, you know, he's been one of the main reasons. Why, and Him and Emery Khan, as you say, he's been brilliant this last six games.
1: Too. Yeah, it's, it's Terzic and it's Emery Khan. The system, the four-one-four-one system, yeah. in which Emre Khan drops back to help these center backs. Mm-hmm. So let's be honest, Nicolas Sule wasn't in the greatest form for either no. mm-hmm. country either. Yeah. Uh, but with Khan sort of helping them out like a big brother, and and if you watch any Dortmund match, just keep an eye on Emre Khan. Keep an eye on yeah. how he how he drops back between those center backs and really helps them out defensively. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have to initiate a lot of attacks because yeah. Jude Bellingham yeah. exists. Uh, yeah. But he, he but he he really has that's. He's been a big help to them,
0: yeah. And just very quickly on Bayern Munich, obviously, I mean, I think pretty much every man and his dog that knows the Bundesliga would have predicted a comfortable win in this game. With all due respect to Balcom, for me, Balcom are a home team, you know, they they never managed to replicate the kind of form away And obviously, going away from home to Bayern Munich, I thought they actually did well for the first 30 35 minutes. I think Bayern didn't have that many chances, I and mean, there was one Chupon Motting uh, header but then obviously the goal was a real mistake from Yankto who really didn't have a good game
1: at all city poor city, poor city yeah.
0: He, yeah he had an absolute horror show let's be honest and he sold a really poor back back pass to Reeman who couldn't quite recover he actually made a really good save initially from uh from Thomas Muller, but then a little bit of luck, really. The ball fell again for Muller, who was able just to comfortably roll the ball into an empty net, really, in the end. The second time that kind of thing has happened, really, to Bolkem in a week, because something similar happened against Dortmund in the cup as well. When, uh, But in this case, it was a poor clearance from Riemann, which was actually easily put in by Khan. This time, it was a poor back pass from Janko, who, which was eventually punished. But to be honest, the second half was just, they could have had five, six, seven, eight, to be honest, in that second half. like With all due respect to Boakum, it just seemed like they just wanted to get off the pitch by the end. Because, I mean, to be honest, 3-0 wasn't anywhere near as bad as it could have been, was it, Peter mm-hmm. Really.
1: It's an interesting game. Um, actually, when we go live with this, this is pre-recorded. When when we go live, will will Bayern be kicking off against PSG? That's the yeah, will actually, yeah.
0: So that's
1: the match that everybody wants to see. Bochum was was not, uh, you know, necessarily um, <clears throat> can't miss viewing. Uh, but for tactics heads, it was, uh, and we saw Nagelsmann use the back three um, uh, in both halves. He made a, a tactical shift in the in the second half as well. Cancelo started on the left. Kingsley Coman wasn't in the starting lineup at all. Um, Kimmich was suspended, so Nagelsmann used some interesting language from what he, uh, in order to express what he expected of Leon Goretzka, and that was that he wanted him to be a lazy six, um, meaning I assume that he wanted him to hang back, uh, help out defensively, sort of you know work as a semi-sweeper. Uh, Goretzka did his job. Goretzka's, you know, he's normally the bull of the Goretzka-Kimmich partnership. So he goes forward, Kimmich takes his, his range efforts. So Goretzka, he fulfilled that tactical role and that's one of the reasons why Bayern had trouble getting off the ground, how, why they had trouble uh, going and they only took a 1-0 lead into the uh, into the dressing room. Um, Nagelsmann shifted the tactics a little bit. He puts Concello back on the right. Uh, he brought in Alfonso Davies to serve as the other wing back. and then he moved Serge Gnabry um, into the eight position alongside uh, Leroy Sané, who is actually – Leroy Sané has found the right tra- uh, uh, head coach in Julian Nagelsmann. Let's, yeah. let's move on. Um, so Nagelsmann said he was disappointed after the game, uh, that it wasn't going to be good enough for PSG, and that he, he wanted it better. He wanted a blowout early. He wanted Bochum closed out. Of course, he was going to say that. That's how you motivate your team for the next match uh, uh, by doing that. Um, yeah, I to all those uh, uh, watching PSG Bayern live, uh, we'll see. I think I think he's going to go with a four two three one against uh, PSG. That's that's my prediction. Um, and I think that Kimi and Goretzka will be double sixes, and that uh, Davies and, and Cancelo will start its fullbacks. That's my prediction, but we'll see. I mean, that was Bayern Bochum. What was it? It was a it was a little tune up fight, and that's yeah. all it was. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Yeah, and obviously they had the friendship as well between the two clubs, don't they? So oh, there was cool. a lot of that kind of stuff. That's something quite interesting because I think a lot of English fans they can't really get their hand the head around that the whole friendship matches, you know. And obviously, my beloved FC Nuremberg, they have a friendship with Sch- Schalke, of course. I mean, do you know why that started, Peter? Or-
1: of course, um, you know it's. Uh, if, I don't know well i mean the same reason actually, do they really not have uh friendship alliances in england not really
0: it's not such a big thing at least between clubs in england yeah it's, it's yeah. i think english clubs have friendships with teams in europe but not so much inside the country and certainly not to the same level as in germany right.
1: you know? okay well um bochum is a very very old uh, community athletic society the, uh, the Bochum Gymnastics Society, the Verein, was initially started in 1848. That's why it's VW Bochum 1848. Um, and so if you ask people from Bochum, they have the oldest football club in the country. There some, okay, There's some debate about that. Because what they did is they founded the gymnastics club in 1848. Yes. And 1848 is also a big year for Germany. Historically, that was the year the year of um, some of the student revolts um, you know, at the Hambacher, Hambacher Schloss. Uh, that uh, you know to try and bring democracy to Germany. So um, these are very 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 old community athletic societies and uh, when they would travel in the you know in the late 19th century to to go to other uh, uh, you know I mean they, they had their rivalries and they had their friendships. Um, and these friendships date back in some cases uh, uh, to the turn of the century. in some cases they're younger 30 40 years old or something like this um but it was i believe were they commemorating 50 years of bayern and both yeah, yeah. Uh, on sunday and there were some lovely scenes there uh at the audience but um yeah they just decided that uh you know the the groups of traveling supporters decided that they liked one another uh, <laughs> some 50 years ago and they started to coordinate on projects and things like that and that's why you have friendship i, I can't believe that you don't have that in yeah
0: no it's not a big thing it's all yeah lot like, as i say, they Yeah, most of the clubs in the same area, they hate each other, basically. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I know, obviously, Bochum and Bayern Munich are basically the opposite ends of the country in some ways, you know. So, yeah, maybe that's part of the reason. But, yeah, I can't really think of any kind of major friendships between English clubs. They're certainly not in the same way. Like, for example, the Nuremberg and Schalke one, they both sing the club song as well, Die Legende Lebt. Like, they sing it together, which is absolutely fantastic, by the way, to yeah. see. I saw it live once, and, you know, it's definitely something you've got to see in German football, but I was really surprised, and it made me interested in just how this started, or really, this kind of culture, because wow. I think in, in England, it, really in English, we have rivalries, but not really friendships. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. that's part of what ultra-fandom is, okay? There's hooliganism, but there's also friendships. Yeah. It's just the way it is in Germany.
0: Yeah, but it's another interesting point to the to the culture. And speaking of culture, actually, uh, obviously, the Carnival Club, SFV, Mainz obviously had a really good win as well at home, obviously, in that very, very interesting Carnival strip. Before we get into this one, what did you make of that strip? Uh, did you think it was a nice uh, shirt or a bit they, questionable, that one, from Mainz? Well, they do it every
1: year, and uh, some people hate it. Some people <laughs> think the ugliest thing that they've ever seen. Um, I always love it because yeah. I, I love carnival and um i also like that um, in the city uh not just in the stadium around the, the fans will be sporting that uh, uh that trico mm-hmm. they'll be sporting it all year long yeah. uh but um and when 11 11 comes november 11th when it comes time for all the carnival societies to start planning their carnival you know getting their their carnival plans together everybody will be wearing that trico um yeah. it was uh you know wow uh of uh that's Bo Svensson. I mean, they've just, Ajorke, his importance to allowing uh, the, the two supporting attackers to thrive cannot be understated. Uh, On a our boy On a Siwo scored again, but Jae Sung Lee, uh, the South Korean international, uh, two goals that he basically created himself with with midfield uh, uh, ball dispossessions of uh, uh, Felix Oduokai and, and Robert Gomney. Wow, what a match from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Mainzer fans, okay. Actually, they're FC Kaiser rivals, but I enjoy friendly relations with. <laughs> fans. So uh, good to them. It was it was a great win. I think that that club might be in the European discussion, maybe a little bit later this year. Yeah. Um, I think we pretty much covered everything, did we not? It with the exception of uh, Hoffenheim Leverkusen. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only
0: one of the final one I wanted to go over, yeah. So, obviously, it was uh, the, the man with two surnames, as I call him, Pellegrino Matarazzo. <laughs> it was his first game as Hoffenheim coach. But, to be honest, I watched the highlights of this game and I was just thinking it's exactly the same problems as what was happening under Andre Brighton, right? To be honest with you, like, they, they were creating some chances but just not putting them away and very, very casual at the back. Again, you know, I mean, Kabak was poor... I thought Brooks was a little bit better in this game, but they've still got big problems. And Geiger has been dreadful for most of this season, to be honest with you. He's always been a player that I've rated, but he got hauled off very early again in this game. And I, I, are they really putting it in, Peter? Are, are they really trying hard enough for the shirt? Because I'm just not. This squad of plays is a good squad. It should be a mid table at least, or even top six or seven. But they just. I look at them and I just don't think they're putting it in at the
1: moment. Well. I mean, Matarazzo barely changed the tactics at all. He didn't really put his hand in the club in his debut. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought Brooks was garbage again. I, and I was also <laughs> really disappointed in in Thomas Delaney. Um, yeah. I think that these two returnees, Delaney and Brooks, they will improve. You have to realize that after they left the Bundesliga, they weren't really playing a lot for their for their yeah. other clubs, uh, as you know, in, in Spain and Portugal. So they need some more match practice. They'll improve. Matarazzo has so many shiny toys to play with. Okay, I mean, he's got Casper Dolberg. He's got Andre Kamaraj. He's got Ilas Bebu. He has Christoph Baumgartner. He has Angelino. He has Casper. Uh, um, <clears throat> did I mention Casper Dolberg? Or uh, no. yeah, I mean, he'll he'll probably improve too. Plus, they've got young talent in, in Aslani and Bischoff and and uh, to uh, to and, and and all of this stuff. I wish I could say that, like every German fan wishes they could say that Hoffenheim would be in the relegation battle. But what's going to happen is is that eventually uh, uh, Matarazzo is going to get it together and some of these players are going to improve. What he did against Leverkusen, which Leverkusen with Florian Wirtz in the squad are almost impossible to beat. He just took a mulligan. He just said, you know what, I'm going to let them play in their usual set of tactics and uh, see if they can improve in it. And I'll start to build my team. I'll start to put my hand in it later. So that's what Matarazzo did with that. And unfortunately, from a German fan's perspective, they will get better and they will not factor into the relegation race Germans would love to see Hoffenheim relegated but it's not happening
0: but I'm gonna hold you to that you know because obviously (laughs) you've said that every week I'm not so sure though I, I agree that the squad on paper is for me it's a top six top seven squad they've got so many quality players like on the bench just.